anything more important to ask than how do you conceive of God? Because how I conceive God will determine the kind of relationship that I'll have with God and will, in fact, determine the kind of life that I live and my approach to uh, life itself. If I conceive of God as an angry policeman, well, then I'm going to avoid him uh, in fear that he's going to pull me over for some kind of uh, violation or illegal turn. If I consider God or picture God as a kind of a distant bureaucrat, uh, then I'll be distant from God and you know, I'll, I won't involve Him in my life or turn to Him in times of uh, personal need and urgency. Uh, if I think of God as an unpleasable taskmaster, well, then I'm going to cower in fear uh, before God with uh, anxiety and guilt. Well, how I conceive of God determines how, uh, what kind of relationship I have with God and how I live. And uh, thankfully, God reveals uh, the proper concept uh, because it's right here in his word. Would you please turn your Bible or your device to 1 Timothy? 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 9. It's two verses, 9 and 10 in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And uh, here God makes it clear uh, who he is. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to a young pastor named Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, and for this we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Did you catch that? The living God, who is the Savior of of all people. We're going to focus on that word savior because this is God describing himself and how he wants me to conceive of him. God uses other words in other places, uh, words like father and friend, but this word savior is special because it simultaneously conveys who God is, what he does, and how that impacts my life. God is not an angry policeman. God is not a distant bureaucrat. God is not an unpleasable taskmaster. God reveals in Scripture that he is by nature a rescue worker. Uh, Paul says, we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people. Now, at first glance, Paul seems to be saying here that all people are saved and everyone is going to heaven. Uh, but we know that's not what Paul is saying uh, because right there in his trustworthy saying, Paul says, we labor and we strive. And that's uh, part of uh, this conceiving uh, of God as Savior. Paul says we labor and we strive. And we know that by laboring and striving, Paul is referring to his relentless missionary work where he goes around the world motivated by this conviction that all people are not saved and that no one goes to heaven except through a personal faith and belief in Jesus and what he did on the cross. So this phrase, Savior of all people, is not, an, not a statement about the eternal destiny of people. It's really a statement about the eternal nature of God himself. 
through this phrase, God is saying, uh, it's my nature to want to reach everyone, including people you think are too far away from me and are too hard. Uh, So don't you ever give up, God says, on the people in your life uh, who seem hard toward me because God says, I'm the Savior of all people. God says, it's my nature to free people who are trapped, to help people who are hurt, to save people who are afraid, to even sacrifice myself in order to rescue and snatch people from eternal death. And then Paul says, since it is God's nature to want to save all, all people, God especially wants to be rescuer in the lives of his children, those who believe in Jesus. So Paul's point is that considering God's burning desire to be a savior to all people, including people who are hard toward him, uh, don't care about him and don't believe in him, Considering God's desire to save all people, how much more does God want to be this rescuer to me as his child through faith in Jesus? And this is the spirit behind this word, especially in verse 10. We have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. Uh, Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul is saying that if I am a child of God, my father is especially dedicated to saving me in every way that I can be saved. The Savior begins by saving me from the curse, the curse that separates me from God. But it doesn't end there. The Savior continues saving me from the other lingering effects of the curse of sin. God wants to be my Savior In the midst of bad circumstances, God wants to bring me rescue in the midst of financial worries. He wants to be my savior in health problems and broken relationships. Now, God does not promise that he's going to remove all bad circumstances, but he does promise to give something in the midst of troubling circumstances. And that something is summarized in this verse in one word. It's the word Hope. We have hope in the living God, our Savior. Now, it's important that we understand what the Bible means when it uses this word hope. Uh, Because the Bible's definition of hope is different than the way we usually tend to use the word hope in everyday language today. Uh, Whereas the Bible defines hope as confident living, We tend to use the word hope as wishful thinking. Uh, Maybe even right now, you have some wishful thinking. You are thinking, oh, I I really hope that it's a sunny day tomorrow. I I really hope I remembered to turn the lawn sprinkler off last night. Or I really hope this is going to be a short sermon. And see, that's wishful thinking. That's... Wishful thinking. It does, and it, it, it has no basis in biblical hope, which is confidence. Biblical hope is confidence. For instance, when Paul refers to the second coming of Jesus, he refers to it in Titus chapter 2, verse 13. He calls it the blessed hope. 
And Paul is not, by using this word hope, making a wish. He's not saying, oh, I hope Jesus comes back. I would be so great to see him again. No, Paul's blessed hope is not a wish. It's an unshakable confidence that Jesus is coming back just like he said he would. And if I'm a believer, then God is my Savior and I can live with complete hope, complete confidence. So child of God, if you're out of a job, there is hope. Not confidence in your networking skills, but you can have complete confidence in the guiding and providing hand of your Savior. If your marriage is falling apart, there is hope. Not confidence in your wish that things will eventually get better, but you can have complete confidence in the peacemaking power of your Savior. If your teenager is in trouble, there is hope. Not in your ability to fix things, but in the complete confidence in the heart-transforming power of your Savior. If you are a student and you're experiencing rejection or loneliness, there is hope because you have a friend who will never leave you, your Savior. If you are a follower of Jesus, God says to you, you have no reason to be in despair, ever. You have no reason to be stuck in discouragement, ever. You have no right to call any situation hopeless, ever. God is the Savior of all people. But if you are His child through Jesus, then God is especially Savior for you. So call on Him. That's who He wants you to be. He wants to be in your life. He wants you to call on Him in the midst of your troubles and let Him rescue you. You can have confidence in this life. God calls Himself your Savior. He calls you His loved child. But we need to go back and look at that verse 10. That little phrase once again. We've put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people. We've already suggested what that doesn't mean, but let's look again at it. What does Paul mean by God is the Savior of all people? Well, we don't need to guess what Paul is referring to here because Paul already told us two chapters earlier what he means by this phrase. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Paul says, this is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of Jesus, the truth. So what does it mean for God to be the Savior of all people? Well, he told us right here. It means that God wants all people. God wants all people. God wants all people to come to the knowledge of Jesus. Look at verse 3 uh, that says, It pleases God, our Savior, for people to come to Jesus. That word pleases here in the Greek is uh, the Greek word apodekamai, which is the ancient word for applause. And so Paul is indicating that God is so passionate about people that when a person comes to Jesus, it just makes God so happy. It pleases Him so much that He just wants to applaud with approval. Then, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus Himself says that God is like a shepherd shepherd who lost a lamb. And just like a good shepherd, God goes after that one lamb. And Jesus says that when the shepherd finds that lamb, the shepherd joyfully puts the lamb on his shoulders and brings the lamb home and then gathers friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me because I have found my lost lamb. And then Jesus 
concludes by saying God's not really talking about lambs. He's talking about people. And so in Luke chapter 15, verse 7, he says, I tell you that in the same way, all heaven rejoices when one repents. Jesus taught that God has such a passion for people that nothing makes God happier than to have one of his lost children come home. And because Paul understood God's passion, he devoted his life to having the same passion that God has. And so that's what that little phrase means, that I I labor and strive, Paul says. He gave his life to telling other people about Jesus because he had the same passion that God has. How about you? Are you passionate about what God is passionate about? Maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you don't feel close to the Savior. You don't feel this hope, confidence that Paul says comes from the Savior. If this describes you, the solution involves getting passionate about what the Savior is passionate about. You will never feel close to the Savior if you don't share His passion. The Savior is passionate about lost people who need to know Jesus. And God's call for you is to be passionate about one thing that has eternal value. There is only one thing in this temporal world that will survive the transition to eternity. And it's not money. It's not possessions. It's not anything else. The one thing that will survive the transition to the next life is the human soul. And so God's will for you is to devote your prayers, your purse, and your passion to sharing Jesus with eternal souls one person at a time. And maybe you can start by inviting one person over the next few months into the fall here to church. And from this point on, I am not going to talk about the one anymore. We're not going to talk about it anymore in public. All right. We're not going to talk about it. We're going to do it. And we're going to do it with a passion. So let me just give you a, uh, an idea here of what I'm talking about. In Lou Holtz's uh, second season as the head coach of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish football squad, uh, his team experienced a demoralizing defeat against Texas A&M in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, this college football Hall of Fame coach uh, said he walked into the uh, locker room and he was absolutely dejected. But then he got even more dejected over this loss at the Cotton Bowl when he noticed that none of the Notre Dame players in the locker room seemed to be as crushed as he was. There was only one exception. There was one guy, a substitute named Chris Zorch, who sat in front of his locker crying deep, gut-wrenching sobs. And as a, a substitute, second stringer, he hadn't even played in the game. But yet he was completely crushed by this defeat. And in Chris Zorch, Coach Holtz saw the one player on the team who had the same passion that he had. And so right there, Holtz decided that he would build next year's team around Chris Zorch and players that had the kind of passion that he had. The next season, Zorch went from being a substitute, second stringer, to first string starter, to uh, captain of the team, to leading Notre Dame to a national championship. And Zorch later went on to a football, pro football career. And it all began because he was the only player on the team who was crushed with what the 
head coach was crushed with. And he was able to weep bitter tears because he had the same passion as the head coach. God is passionate about his work in our community, in this world. God doesn't mind, just like Coach Holtz. He doesn't mind using second stringers who are passionate about his plan. Here at Black Rock, we're all second stringers. Uh, we're ordinary people. But we have a passion for what God is passionate about. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And for this, we labor and we strive at BlackRock that we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. In this one trustworthy saying, God reminds me who He is. He's Savior, most of all. God reminds me that He is Savior who especially delights in giving me hope in the midst of the defeats and the troubles of this world. The Savior delights in giving me unshakable confidence, even when everything else is shaking around me. But God also reminds me that He is Savior not just for me, but He is a Savior who is passionate about all people. And He calls me to share this passion, His gut-wrenching passion for the people who are close to me, but far from Him. 